never worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you let us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd You know what that means. It's a new episode of the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things pop culture, the podcast where we talk about things geek, the podcast where we talk about things video games, comic books, video, I already said video games, movies, TV shows, Lego, anything and everything. The best part of it all is that it's all in canon. As always, I'm your hosts. I'm Boris. And this week, we're joined by Phil. Hey everybody, how you doing today? And we have a very special guest, Brad, from Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, etc. Welcome, Brad. How are you? I am great. Hello. 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 I'll keep doing this. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I was very afraid of how long we were going to go with that, but uh, I, go I think a long that's good. Time. I, I I am a yes-ander. Uh, I won't let anything drop. There you go. I love it. <laughs> you're, on, I absolutely you're on the right show. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have Lisa. We don't have Tyler. It's just us three, guys. We're going to go nuts. <laughs> the way I like it. None of that Lisa. Because <laughs> Tyler keeps us in check, so. <laughs> yeah. 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 I am sad that Lisa can't join us for the WandaVision talk. I mean, she is a WandaVision obsessive. Uh, I, you know, I think I like the show, but she loves the show. Right. Um, and uh, that's why I told her to get out of here. And she's not invited. <laughs> no, she had to work. She had to work late. Uh, unfortunately, a few other gigs came in at the last minute that she had to uh, finish. Real life, yeah. right? It's a bummer. Yeah, real life. Well, it's the COVID world, right? We all got to do what we got to do because... Yeah, it's a tough world out there, so we totally get it. <laughs> uh, so I started, um, before we started recording, I told Brad that this is going to be our longest episode ever, at least four hours, <laughs> as he has a deadline at about four and a half hours. So, you know, we'll see how long we can keep the show going. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Edit it down to half an hour. <laughs> yeah, we'll oh, condense no. it. <laughs> oh, spite editing. That's my favorite kind of editing. I love it. Brad, what's new? It's been a couple months since we talked to you. We The last time we spoke, we were talking about probably our favorite review analyst episode of uh, Mandalorian. So it's been a, quite a few months. What's new? What's going on? Happy New Year. I'm still saying it. This is the first time we speak. So Happy New Year. Thank you. Uh, it's like it is weird tracking time in 2020, 2021. Um it does feel like days bleed into other days, uh, but there was one big significant thing that happened since last we spoke. I have a new internet connection, 
you know, this is what you guys really want to hear is ha- the trials and tribulations of Brad and Lisa's horrible internet. Uh, but we were still on a DSL network when we spoke last. Wow. And now we we ditched Verizon. Like, so we've been living in this apartment complex for a long time, a far too long uh, time. And you know, we we when we joined up, we were Verizon. Verizon only offered us DSL. We made do. Uh, but then it just reached a critical moment since we've all been, you know, doing virtual lessons, virtual meetings, all that stuff. Uh, like Lisa and I could not be on the computer at the same time. We could not be using the internet at the same time. So we called up Verizon again, like complaining, complaining, complaining. They sent us new routers, blah, blah, blah. And they were just like, you know, like we can't give you Fios to your building. And we were freaking out. And we're like, are all our neighbors suffering this same thing? So we we actually talked to some people, uh, you know, keeping socially distanced. Uh, you, how, how's your experience with Verizon? And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> we're on Comcast. It's like, I thought Comcast didn't come here. No, yeah, no, we Comcast. We have no problem. Then we call our building manager. They're like, uh, I think you guys are the only ones doing Verizon. I'm like, what the hell? So we finally switched over to Comcast. And I'm going to tell you right now, this cable business is pretty cool, guys. Isn't it? It's like we've <laughs> jumped into the future. And like I could download a song in seconds and not hours. Did you right. know that? It's crazy. Oh, man. It's a hell of a thing. There's this application called yeah. a LimeWire you should try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll do that so once I may get or may not AOL. give um you know some viruses to your computer yeah <laughs> man so I, that, that I was like, on, it's game changer game changer yeah, yeah i was on dsl like what in the early 2000s in the yeah. apartment complex it's like, a 40 year old technology <laughs> that's incredible love man <laughs> love it so you did i'm not embarrassed you ditched dc you said bye to dc comics and now you are owned by bravo yeah, 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 right. <laughs> That's horrible, but yes. So anytime, you know, anyone utters the words Real Housewives or Below Deck, you know, every TV is going to turn on in your house. Yes, yes, yes. I've been streaming so much stuff, guys. Mostly just true crime. Mostly yep. true hey, crime. I, yep. get, I get where you and Lisa get the whole interplay with comics because when one person's on the internet, the other one may as well pick up a comic, right? Uh, now yes <laughs> correct because like now you guys can both be like doing digital lives my goodness well and lisa well, like what the problem is is lisa uh, teaches virtual lessons piano lessons voice lessons and you know like every time she would log on i would have to shut off my work <laughs> like i could not oh. do anything yeah but then we met this thing called the 21st century and we're good love it that's great Absolutely so happy you're here. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> and you have look. I know this is amazing and a step up because you have a camera on and we're chatting at the same time. That's yeah. right. Last time we didn't have the camera on because we couldn't do it. We were on DSL. Now you can see my face and all its beauty. I love it. I love. It. And I gotta hey, say I for our listeners, you, who like our listeners who know what Phil and I look like, Brad and Phil could. <laughs> honestly be siblings if i didn't know better i just think it's the similarities we, we have ball caps and hair and glasses we both and have glasses. black rim glasses but oh. here, here's the thing brad now that when when you're able to stream things it 
it, it's not intended. You can actually understand that it's not chunky. <laughs> okay. So when you get those pauses and blurs, you know, you're going to get this thing called high definition. Dude. So you might need a new TV. So, like, the ridiculous thing is, you know, I'm a curator for one perfect shot, which means that I have to, you know, do screen caps and and and, and all this stuff. And so, like, I had been going to my library and using the library's internet while parked outside to do all these one perfect shots <laughs> for the Twitter feed. And now I can do it from my home. Amazing. <laughs> Absolutely oh amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. So you're happy with Comcast? Yeah, I am. Yeah, it's how pathetic. I feel really, really pathetic, but uh, that's my life. Exactly. I'm amazed that's... you're able to produce what you do, like on that DSL beforehand, like because you guys are very digitally productive. Like if yeah. I'm ever bored during the day, I can flip on Twitter and there's you guys are tweeting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. So we we were also paying a, a very expensive phone bill so that we could use, uh, you know, 3G unlimited. And uh, mm. so we've been able to back off that plan a little bit as well now that yeah. we can actually get onto the Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, I, I spent a lot of time at the library. I love it. <laughs> That's All awesome. right. Um, so how's the podcast going? What's going on in the podcast? Uh, what What's new? Anything fun coming up? Yeah, we were a lot, a lot of fun things coming up. Uh, we are almost done with our most recent couple series. We're focusing on X couples, couples from the X-Men universe. Uh, we just finished Generation X with a focus on Nathaniel Carver and Benjamin Deeds. Nice. That was a series I had never read before. And I, I, I wish I had gotten on that a little bit earlier because maybe it would have lasted more than 12 issues because yeah. it's fantastic. Written by Christina Strain. Highly recommend that. That conversation was really about trust and how we go about um, establishing trust in our relationships using Benji and Nathaniel as our uh, our gateway to that conversation. And we're going to finish our uh, ex-couple series on a very interesting uh, couple. It's the alternate universe Wolverine, uh, a Wolverine from another dimension, uh, and his lover, Hercules, and mm. uh, it's from Extreme X-Men, the run that Greg Pak did, and it's a very strange, weird storyline in which these various X-Men from all across the multiverse have teamed up to hunt down the evil Professor X's from all these other various <laughs> uh, universes. And so you've got this Wolverine named James Howlett, Hercules, Dazzler, a Cyclops from the Civil War, um, Sage, they've all teamed up and they're they're tracking down some evil Charles, uh, Charles's, however you say that. And it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm curious to see what Lisa thinks about it. She's already hinted, not hinted, I've heard her groaning while she's been reading the book. She <laughs> is not enjoying the series as much as I did. Uh, that happens sometimes, but I still think it'll end up uh, providing some fun conversation. And I just, what I've liked about this past month on comic book couples counseling is rather than focusing on one 
over four episodes, we've decided to jump around the X-Men continuity, and we've focused on four separate X-couples. Before that, we did Storm and Callisto uh, from earlier on in the Extreme X-Men series, and then we kicked everything off with Shatterstar and Richter from the Shatterstar miniseries. And it's just been fun, like, picking and choosing uh, these different tales and applying them to our love guru and our relationship. And, uh, yeah. And then we haven't quite figured out where we're going after the X couples. Uh, we want to go back to DC comics, but we haven't zeroed in on who we want to cover just yet. And we'll probably go back to our usual form where we pick one couple over four episodes so that we can really, uh, dissect their relationship. Awesome. Well, I know on my end, I can't wait to get the um, the Stan Lee book because I've been holding off on that episode oh, yeah. just because you guys were very enthusiastic about it. And it's really uh, piqued my interest on that on that novel. Uh, yeah. So we had uh, the book, uh, the author of True Believer, Abraham Riesman on. And I don't know if you guys have been seeing, but that book has caused a lot of storm and fury online. And I totally understand why. Um, you know, it splays Stan Lee's legacy out on the operating table. And there's a lot of ugliness there yep. and a lot of sadness there. But I came away from reading that book, understanding the man a lot better. I don't think there are actually any revelations within it regarding his contribution to the Marvel Universe. A lot of those stories had already been well documented uh, in other biographies. What's what, what I got out of True Believer was what led Stan to the decisions he made and how those decisions that he made in 1961 forever altered his life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, I think, highly worth recommending. If you do hold Stanley up as an idol, I understand why you might be hurt by it. Um, but I, I think we need to look at what he contributed to the Marvel Universe, how he shaped the Marvel Universe, and what he withheld from other creators of the Marvel mm -hmm. Universe. You know, yeah. it's time to give some love to Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and John Romita, uh, and, and those early architects of Marvel. Agreed. For sure. Agreed 100%. Um, so, yeah, no, it sounds like you're, you're good and busy, just like us. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, you have a lot of awesome stuff coming we'll let everyone know at the end of the show where they can find you how they can find you and all that fun stuff but before we get to the end of the show i guess we should get to the meat and potatoes of things and the <laughs> meat and potatoes of today's episode is everything wandavision we waited till the end of the season and i feel like that was probably the best choice because every episode was short and we would have been talking about every episode for at least an hour and a half um, so I find that right now what we can really do is get in depth because now we kind of can make those connections. We can also kind of see, um, you know, our predictions from the beginning of the season, see how they panned out. So we're going to be having a general discussion about the entire season. Um, but before that, I kind of wanted to um, talk a little bit about how we got here. This is the first MCU TV show. Yeah, we had Agent Shield. Yeah, we had Agent Carter. Yeah, we had Daredevil, but they were all kind of under different banners. You know, way back when the Avengers was released in 2012, um, the original idea was, you know, it's all connected, and that was a great idea. But 
the reality was there was a lot of politics at play and in Marvel, in um, Marvel Studios against the TV division. Uh, so that's why there were some significant changes made to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. early on. Even something like bringing Agent Coulson back was pretty uh, pretty intense and there was it was uh, met with a lot of scrutiny by a lot of people. So there was this power struggle. Obviously, Kevin Feige won. But before that, we also had the Netflix shows, which were a little more on the darker side, higher budget. It wasn't ABC. It was all Netflix. And again, it was the whole everything is connected. Um, but, you know, now they've kind of opened things up a little more or closed them off, depending on what way you look at it. And now we have uh, Kevin Feige essentially in charge of the entire scope of the MCU, including the new Disney Plus TV shows. And all of this is really because of Disney Plus. If it wasn't for Disney Plus, we wouldn't be seeing any of this. Um, or the possibility of us seeing this on Netflix would have been a lot higher, but it, you know, it would have kind of been in canon-ish. Because that's kind of what I call those shows. In canon-ish to the MCU. But now that Kevin Feige kind of runs everything, now that we have Disney Plus, you know, it's it, 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 this is their strategy. You know, we're going to be telling the stories of some of those side characters, the stories that we're not going to get full-blown movies on, the stories that would expand more than a movie. Um, this is what we're going to see. And I got to say I really like this overall because it kind of feels like a like a mini story, like a like a mini series, like a five-issue comic all put together, and I kind of like that feeling about these MCU TV shows on Disney+. Plus. What do you think, Brad? I mean, yes. I, I like how you referred to them as in-canon-ish, and I don't want to start any uh, fights right off the bat, but I also would call those shows good-ish. Uh, <laughs> the, the, yep. the quality was not quite there for me. Uh, I was never a fan of the abc shows um i like the agent carter goodish uh inhumans no, no uh, agents no of one shield liked that. there were moments maybe of agents of shield that i liked but not many and then with the netflix shows there was stuff that i got excited about but i never felt like those shows achieved the level of radness that i wanted them to um especially as they went along and tried to connect with each other. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm happy to say goodbye to all of that stuff. I'm, I'm very glad that Kevin Feige has the opportunity that he does to oversee the MCU on Disney plus and based on this one show. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm happy. I'm pretty happy. Yeah. How do you feel about all yeah. this, Phil? Pretty much the same as Brad. I, I tried to stick to the stuff with ABC and whatnot, and it didn't strike me as even being related to the same universe in a lot of ways. Yeah. It just felt like ABC. Yeah. And then when I went to watch the Netflix stuff, hey, some of it like Daredevil was kind of fun because like, let's just look at what happened to Daredevil as a movie, that type of thing. So it was an oddity that way. But Again, I felt like those were very contained and very deliberate to their carrier. And yep. I didn't feel like Disney was involved in any of it, despite the claims otherwise. So I fell off of all those shows really quickly and never went back and didn't miss them. And I was highly skeptical of WandaVision. 
because of what they had done in TV. So I wasn't buying it straight out of the box. And I'm still a little bit, I don't know, butthurt consumer. I don't know. But I'm still a little bit like on the fence about our five series. Is Disney capable of creating five series worth of content as good as WandaVision? Hey, my money will bet on it, but I think there might be some duds in there. So (laughs) that's what I'm thinking. I mean, I understand that concern, but for me, and you know, you everyone should know uh, every like my point of view coming in. Like, I love everything about the MCU. I am in the bag for the MCU. There is not an MCU movie that I dislike, including Thor: The Dark World, Iron Man Two, um, The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I like all of those. Do I love them? Not as much as, say, Black Panther or Winter Soldier. But I I like everything that's gone before this. However, there was always these moments like, okay, they're going to introduce Ant-Man. I don't know about this trailer. And then I'd watch Ant-Man. I'd be like, you know what? That was pretty good. Do I love Ant-Man as much as the Winter Soldier? No, but I still pre- I, I still like it. And then, you know, Endgame happens and you go, man, I feel like they've closed the book on these guys. Like, yeah. I'm good. Like, I I don't need another Marvel movie after Endgame. And the first thing we're going to get, thanks to the pandemic, is WandaVision. And I like those characters. And I liked how kooky it looked through the few glimpses they gave us before it actually launched. But I was like, I I don't know. And then WandaVision hits and I ate it up. So I, I can't be... I can't look at their slate and go, I don't know if they're going to pull this off anymore because at every corner for my money, they pulled it off. Yeah. Well, for me, it's lowered expectations. Yeah. That's good. And strategy. That, that is that way. I'm never going to be left holding the bag as a, as a, as a fan. Now I'm not as deep of a Marvel fan. I, I always say on the show, I'm more the casual guy. I love Marvel. I enjoy it. I've read the comics back in the eighties and nineties. But I fell off of them, and then they came back at us in a big way, obviously, just because of the way Disney are treating it. Um, So it's interesting to me. I'm familiar with the characters, but I'm not all bought in on all the comic lines that everybody else has been reading. So I just keep a little bit of a a distance on on my expectation. And then when I'm really happy, I'm really happy. Yeah, (laughs) fair enough. Yeah, it's a very different feeling that you have – uh, with these shows as opposed to something like Mandalorian, right? Because the source material is just a step removed from you, right, Phil? So that's kind of... Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the case for a lot of general population. Um, you know, we we even us, the three of us in the podcasting world, we're a lot more embedded than a lot of people. So the general feeling, talking to non-podcasters, non-geeks, really, um, you know, they were very skeptical of WandaVision. They thought WandaVision was a interesting choice, for lack of a better word, um, you know, for the first real test of Disney Plus and the MCU post Endgame. So, you know, and then once the trailers started dropping. There was a lot of skepticism. You know, if you know Tom King and you know that famous and even more famous now run of Tom King and Wanda and Vision, um, you know, you kind of haven't had in a, a slight idea of what to expect. But the average viewer, the average person, 
the average consumer had no idea what to expect. So this show, and even, you know, the first half of the show was met with a lot of skepticism. Even as people were watching it, I just noticed a reaction and it was a really different reaction than most Marvel movies. I mean, that's certainly true. And I remember watching those first two episodes and talking to my mom afterwards. And I thought my mom would eat it up, you know, because she loved the Dick Van Dyke show. And I love Lucy and Bewitched and all those things. And and I thought this that that she would connect to it immediately. Uh, But because the MCU-ness of it wasn't as obvious and because of how strange and confusing and mystery boxish those first two episodes were, my mom was baffled, utterly baffled by the premiere of WandaVision. And she didn't start to really come around on the show until not even episode four, like really not until the Family Ties episode, episode five, mm. did she yeah. start to like get excited and curious of where this show was going to go. But she never stopped watching, I would also point out. Yeah. See, that's something also I noticed, that a lot of people, and I think this is just how we are now in the social media age, where it's like, oh, damn this show, but I'm going to still keep watching it just so I can complain about it or, or whatever. Or maybe give it another chance. Um, so it's kind of interesting how this show polarized the fans, but at the same time, I don't know many people that dropped it. If people dropped it, they dropped it week one or week two, max. Um, yeah, I had a friend week two drop it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can't blame you because I, I think week three is going to be slow too from what I hear. Yep. And it's not until four or five, you know, when we get into the meat of the season that we kind of start breaking out of this uh, genre cycle per se, right? We're going to get into more. But uh, I, that's a pretty good ratio. You're right. Like most people I know that are casual watchers stuck with it, I think because of COVID too, right? Like what else are you going to do with yeah. a Friday night? Like, I mean, it, the, your entertainment options are pretty limited. And so when you do get something like this, uh, you you are compelled to watch it. And you, are, you aren't left with many other uh, major releases to um, clash with the conversation, yeah. right? So like – when Wonder Woman 1984 drops, like, what else do we have to talk about and scream about but Wonder Woman 1984 and the same deal with WandaVision? Yeah, yeah and it's episodic, right? It's weekly episodic content. And like you say, it's really thin out there. Friday nights, Disney claimed it with Mandalorian. They continued it with WandaVision, and they're going to pick it up with, you know, Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki. They're just going to keep on lighting those, those you know, anthems for us to push towards as yep. an audience. And I think that that's a very smart strategy by Disney. Yeah. yeah. And so, even with the Mandalorian, people had to get used to the episodic nature of the release. And, you know, you would have, uh, you know, conversations after uh, an episode would drop and be like, well, you know, like nothing's progressing, nothing's progressing. And it, it, it's a new, it's a different medium than cinema. You know, it, it's, it, it builds differently. It's paced differently. And so if you are used to Star Wars in cinematic form or Marvel, the MCU in cinematic form, uh, you know, you got to you got to adjust. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this after. But now that we're on this subject, let's 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 bring it up before we get into each episode review and analysis. 
And that's the episodic nature of this show. One episode a week. In the social media age, in the age of streaming, we are used to binge-watching shows. You know, it seems to be when Netflix started releasing originals, every Friday or whenever something was released, we would watch the entire show and probably forget about it within a month. Um, you know, Disney Plus had the cojones to, you know, release things weekly, much to the detriment of a lot of people. And I think that this show kind of suffered, but it also made it what it the success that it was for me because you had weekly releases. I think that this show would not have worked as well if it was a binge-worthy um, experience. Plus, the fact that this feels like one long movie, you know, it kind of takes me back to 2017 when I watched uh, Twin Peaks, The Revival. You know, it was it was David Lynch's, you know, 18-hour movie. Um, and this is kind of that feeling that I get from these MCU um, TV shows or Disney Plus shows, I should say, because Mandalorian has the same feeling, whereas one long movie, especially with WandaVision, I felt like this was like one long, awesome movie. I know that that's a lot to, to uh, tear apart, but what are your feelings on all that, Brad? I, I hate binge TV. I hate it. I've hated <laughs> it since it... Uh, the, like the, my first experience with binge TV was with Daredevil's Netflix season one. Mm. And I remember sitting down and watching all of that first season in one go. And it was exhausting. And I could only binge a show like that once. And what I discovered going forward is when other series, like when the next season of Daredevil would drop or Stranger Things or or whatever, you know, um, American Vandal would drop like the conversation around that thing only lasts, you know, a week, a weekend, mm -hmm. like even with stranger things, which is a massively successful property. When the third season dropped, we were really only excited about it for about a week. Yep. And then it was on to the next thing. And I think if you want to control the conversation and sell your property, doing it week to week is the smart move because now you have eight weeks in WandaVision's case, since they dropped episodes one and two in the same week, you have eight weeks of conversation and obsessing. And also through that long stretch where we're all speculating and reevaluating our speculations with each episode, uh, our obsession sinks in deeper and deeper and deeper, and you become either more in loved or more enraged the longer it stretches out. And uh, that's that's how I like my television. I agree 100%. Yeah, I'm with you. Phil. Let's, let's also look at the fact that everybody's podcasting about it. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> you, you – and that is a vehicle for which Disney or whoever, you know, The Boys is another show that goes week to week, The Expanse. Like Amazon got on board with that, and I know Netflix are doing it with Snowpiercer, but only because TNT kind of controls that faucet. But this week, I didn't think I'd really go back into binging, and this week I noticed that Netflix had a um, a Pacific Rim anime yeah, the show Black. on the Black. And I ended up watching all seven episodes in a night. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, what did I just do? And it was so frustrating because I, I denied myself that, you know, even doing it over a week, just an episode a night and being able to mull it over and think about it like I have with WandaVision or like I have with Mandalorian. Right. 
It's, yeah. it's, it's really a way, like you say, to control the message. It's so great. And like, I'm not saying if they dropped Falcon and Winter Soldier all in one go, I would not binge it in a day. I most certainly would. But I think the experience is just all around more pleasurable when it's on a drip. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, the other reason why I would binge it in a day is because it would be ruined later on that day. Fact. That's true. Yeah. Because if you log into, you know, every Friday, I got into the delayed gratification because obviously I'm not going to stay up till 3 a.m. to watch it. And I'm going to uh, have to go to work. And increasingly, I do enjoy sleep. So I was like, okay, you know what? Stay off Twitter on Friday. <laughs> yeah. Friday night, I wanted to I wanted to just watch the, the show cold and be able to go in. And most people were really good about not spoiling it. But it's just that chance, right? That screenshot, that whatever it is, I don't want to risk it. You know who isn't good at this? And I didn't want to throw all these people under the bus, but it's something that really gets to me more and more, and I'm seeing it more increasingly. It the, it's not the fans as much as your IGNs, as your your <laughs> variety, you know, your whatever. Um, you know, it, it's it's those sites that are spoiling everything, and it's just like within hours. Like I I would stay up and watch it because I'm weird like that, um, and I don't sleep much. And then by Friday afternoon, I'm seeing screenshots from these clickbait articles from mm -hmm. the IGNs of the world. And it's just like, wow, guys. Wow. I I mean, I I had to get up early to watch it and do my recaps for Film School Rejects. And, I, you know, I was very aware of what images I should use for my article because I didn't want to be one of those sites that would ruin Agatha all along yeah. in a screen cap. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but like the, the other thing is with, with shows that I'm not like reporting on, I have discovered the blissful mute function on Twitter. And so what <laughs> I will do, if I know I'm not going to watch uh, a, a certain television show. I'm going to stick with Stranger Things. If I know I'm not going to be able to watch Stranger Things uh, that weekend, I just mute all variations of Stranger Things on Twitter. Mm. Hashtag Stranger Things. Stranger Things. I, I mute the word things. I mute the word strangers. I mute all the actors. By the end of it, I have a list of 50 muted words in preparation because I'm that concerned. There wow, you go. I just stay off of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I'm addicted. Yeah, true enough. True enough. <laughs> yep. So that's that. Um, so I think we kind of talked about this, but I'm just going to ask it flat out. Going into WandaVision, seeing the the previews, the whatever, the trailers, anything to lead up to it, right before you started the show, were you excited, Brad? I'm always excited for any new MCU thing. Uh, there's a variation to that excitement. Um, I was... I was mostly curious because I was a fan of Tom King and Gabriel Walta's vision miniseries. And while clearly the advertisements showed that this was not a direct adaptation of that comic book run, there was a lot of parallels to it in yeah. the advertisements. Um, and, and I thought it's a hell of an interesting concept, but I, you know, I love all my Avengers, but I don't necessarily love all of my Avengers equally. And Wanda within the MCU, 
uh, was just never one of the characters that I focused too much on. Um, I love I love the Vision's introduction in Age of Ultron, and I love all of his speeches and monologues in Age of Ultron, in particular his final one with Ultron. Um, but like again, it was it just like that relationship was not like the thing that I gravitated towards. So yeah, I was I was excited the way I was excited about everything, but not as excited as I like. If we're looking at the the all the MCU shows that we're going to drop on uh, Disney Plus that we knew about, Falcon and Winter Soldier was the one where I was like, "That's Brad's show. Those are my mm-hmm. characters. I want to know that story right now." And WandaVision, I was mostly just like, "Huh." Exactly. How about you, Phil? How did you feel going in to episode one? Very similar. Very similar. I, I, to be honest, like when I when we talked about it, Anthony Mackie pointing out that it, these shows offer a great exposition on on secondary and tertiary characters and being able to get to know them. They were very much background characters for me during all of like Age of Ultron for me was a huge. It's it, it's a huge movie in the MCU universe, but it was a huge miss in a lot of ways, and I know. Disney felt that, um, but as a fan, you know, who's not steeped in the Avengers lore, I was like, well, that was a weird one. And, and although the characters were cool, I just didn't have much expectation around them. I know that what happened in Endgame and what happened in, in Infinity War was very tragic and it was very important for obvious reasons, but I don't really understand the deeper nature of Wanda's powers. I didn't really care about them as characters. I, I, I got the inference about their relationship, but I didn't think it was that deep or anything. So in walking into the show, expectations very low. And uh, yeah, and, and you know what? Those first three episodes didn't compel me as much as maybe it did other fans uh, until I started really looking into the deeper meaning of it. But that that was a choice that I made. So all right, so we're going to start our episode-by-episode, blow-by-blow. Um, so we're going to start with episode one, which was titled Film Before Live Story Audience. Uh, so essentially, this is the Wand and Vision move to the town of Westview in the 50s. The tone is very similar to Dick Van Dyke show. They meet their nosy neighbor. They deal with the last-minute important dinner with the boss. But during that dinner, that's when things start to go a little weird. Um, they can't... Uh, no one can answer basic questions about their lives before moving into town. Uh, when the boss chokes on his food, uh, you know, really weird things start to help happen. Uh, Wanda commands Vision to save him, then everything returns to normal. So there were some glitches in the Matrix at this point. Um, after the credits roll, uh, you know, we finally see that this is the show within a show. We see that it's been playing on a monitor with the logo for Sword. Um, you know, Sword is a well-known group in the comic books. Um, it's Sentinel World Observation and Response Department, Response Department, which monitors alien activity. However, in the MCU, it stands for Sentinel Weapon Observation Response Division. Uh, you know, and this episode is really focused on Wanda and Vision, so it's really starting to set the tone for things. Um, we're going to jump into episode two as well, because I found that episode two... Um, yeah, they debuted on the same night, but it was still a lot of the same themes that were present. So, episode two, don't touch that dial. Uh, Wanda and Vision are now in the 60s, 
very much like a bewitched um, show uh, and performing in the neighborhood magic show. Vision gets drunk after swallowing a piece of gum that tangles up his inner mechanical parts. At the magic show, he accidentally reveals his abilities, but Wanda covers them up using her own powers. At home, they see a strange beekeeper appear out of the, a manhole on the street. Wanda says no. Time rewinds. Wanda's suddenly pregnant and everything turns from black and white to color. So episode two was really the the start of, you know, they're not in Kansas anymore, that something weird is going on. There's something bigger at play. And there was a lot of red herrings. Um, so first I wanted to get your impression on the first two episodes. Uh, we're going to start with Phil on this one. Uh, you know, that it was just weird for me from my perspective, right? It was just weird. And like I say, I started looking into, oh, let's go on the internet and find out the backstories and whatnot. Because remember, there's a little red helicopter and they made choices where the red was viewable and everything else was black and white. So I was just like, oh, this is really confusing what they're doing. But then I found out more about shield <laughs> or, or, or sword because I didn't know any of that. So watching this from a fan perspective, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like shield in space. All right. So this is probably going to tie into Captain Marvel or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it's going to, to get into to some areas that obviously they've been working towards in the MCU, but not again. Sure. But I, I found it a little bit kitschy, to be honest. Uh, I, I didn't, I know all those shows. I know those genres. I grew up on reruns. Like, heck, even before we started recording, I made it leave it to Beaver kind of comment. Um, so I'm definitely used to that genre. It didn't really do any nostalgic trick on me, but I was curious to see what was up. Like, that's about it for me. Brad, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I really, really loved the first uh, two episodes. Uh, and I, I, you know, one... Uh, I was a nostalgia. I like it did work on a nostalgia uh, factor because I I grew up watching all those reruns, uh, and, and when you walk into that house and it's like the Dick Van Dyke house and it's a perfect replication of that kitchen, like from a production design, I was in awe, and uh, from a cinematography point of view, I was in awe the way they were able to differentiate between the 50s aesthetic to the 60s aesthetic just ever so slightly, extremely impressive. And then from a performance standpoint, what Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are doing, adapting their style of acting to that sitcom world of Dick Van Dyke and Bewitched, I was I was in awe of that as well. Uh, and But then like from an MCU standpoint, like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> it's a huge question mark. But what do we know about Wanda in those first two episodes? We know, and like, the vision shouldn't be there. We saw the vision die. Not only did we see him die, we saw him die twice. Yep. So every joke and every smile and every pang of the laugh track, was it came like with this undercurrent of menace an uncomfortable dread. And it, you you could sense that while we weren't going to get the darkness in these two episodes, really, there was darkness there. And that looming darkness was very tantalizing. So I was, 
I like the two episodes are really what turned me around and boosted my enthusiasm. Exactly. Like, let's just take a look at the fact that they were able to capture the essence of, you know, the Dick Van Dyke show Bewitched in those first two episodes. And it was such a good um, kind of representation and hit that nostalgia for those old enough to remember the reruns of these shows, those old enough to remember the original incarnations of the show. So there was something to be said just about the, the feeling. But there was this eeriness throughout the entire first two episodes, and that was the MCU stuff, the MCU-isms, as we're going to call them throughout this episode, and that was, like Phil mentioned, the Red Helicopter, the Beekeeper, um, the glitches, you know, throughout the episodes, even the town folk, you knew that something was weird, there was something very, you know, Stepford wife about them, there was something not right about them, you know, um, there, there was a lot going on there, you know, and then starting to take a look at some of those Easter eggs. So, you know, in the first episode, uh, we had um, Wanda pour the wine, which was Maison du Mepri Wine, House of Mepri, House of M Wine. So, you know, for those of you who know the comic books, House of M is a iconic um, comic book now where essentially we are stuck in an alternate reality that Wanda created uh, because she essentially goes mad um, and it's only through a couple people who know what is going on and this essentially just turns into a major uh, issue in the in the Marvel Universe because this is when she utters the famous words no more mutants um, at the end spoiler alert but um, <laughs> You know, so those sorts of things, you know, we we started seeing sword and sword showing up a little more in these episodes. Um, you well, know, and in- also like the first episode when it ends and we and the camera pulls back and we see the sword monitor, the way it goes from the box ratio of classic television and the aspect ratio shifts to the classic MCU widescreen like. Like, like that was so exciting to see and the way that this series continued to play with aspect ratios throughout its uh, nine yeah. episodes uh, was just like this other tool, this other piece of communication that they could use to tell you what was going on. And there's there really is not any other piece of entertainment that I can think of that uses a- aspect ratios to this degree to communicate story. Agreed. You would Not see different camera angles. You would see different um, way of filming. So a great example of this was the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. You know, the Black Lodge was slightly different. Uh, the sound effects were a little higher. Even the voices were different, etc. But just the way that it was filmed and the look and feel of the Black Lodge was always different from the real world of Twin Peaks. Filmed in reverse. Exactly. <laughs> filmed in reverse. Um, so I got that feeling from these first two episodes that something more is going on here. There's more than meets the eye. Um, you know. And then when we throw in all the Easter eggs found in the commercials, you knew that something was really going on. For example, in the first episode, we had the Toastmate 2000, uh, which was this toaster from Stark Industries with this blinking red light. And we're going to bring this up a little later on because once we figure out exactly what's going on in this show, you know, we have to remember where Wanda and Pietro started. You know, they essentially spent two days in rubble staring at a Stark bomb with a blinking red light. So, you know... 
hindsight is 2020, but these are the Easter eggs that they were able to fit into the show. Um, and they were all absolutely great. In episode yeah, and that's two, go ahead. I'm I'm gonna say it like that's what kept me in it, and it, like the nostalgia didn't bother me. It just didn't hit me because I was more interested in the the other play, and that's what kept me watching was knowing that they were gonna deliver on that, and then also get into genres that I was curious, other TV genres that I was curious for them to actually go to. I, I just personally have like a revulsion for the the 40 the 50s and the 60s per se in that time frame i i don't like the way certain things are portrayed but yeah you're right like there's definitely the two plays going on and i think that that's a brilliant way to position the show to their credit because no matter what you're there for you're getting a tease to keep on watching yep and that's a device that they used very well Another along device. with the cinematography Yep, and another device that they used well, and I think it just worked because of our previous conversation about this being episodic, leaving people the entire week guessing, wanting to know what's next, and that is all the red herrings that they had throughout the entire show. Um, you know, I think a lot of people had expectations for the final episode and who the main villain was going to be, but, you know, there were hints throughout the entire show that... It could be just about anyone. For example, episode number two, the commercial was for the Strucker watch. This could be in reference to Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, you know? So, you know, there was hints throughout the entire show. And at this point, I'm like, I have a feeling that they're going to really be, you know, fucking with us, for lack of a better term, in terms <laughs> of trying to guess what's next. What did you think of all the red herrings in the show and kind of like your expectations versus where the show eventually went, Brad. I mean, what was sort of fun about it was determining what was a red herring and what was just an Easter egg yeah. that meant nothing to, in the first place. You know, you would have like signs in the background of the animated sequence of the Bewitched episode where it's like Bova Milk. And you're like, oh my gosh, are they going to bring in uh, the nursemaid Bova from the comics? And I'm like, that thing underneath the cabinet, that looks like the Grim Reaper's helmet. Is the Grim <laughs> Reaper going to come in? And you're like, no, no, those are just like little things there to go, fans, we know you're watching and uh, don't run wild with speculations. But then you would have characters like Dottie uh, leading the uh, um, the neighborhood committee and chanting, you know, for the children, for the children. And you're like, okay, Dottie's a big deal. Dottie might be <laughs> a bad character here. We should be paying attention to Dottie. But yep. then Dottie goes away for a long time. But we still have Dottie because she's being played by Emma Caulfield in our mind. We're like, well, you don't just cast Emma Caulfield in your show and not use her. And then you get to the final episode and you're like, oh, well, no, she was definitely just a red herring. Um, and so, you know, it's a it's a mystery box show. We all went through this type of experience with Lost when it was airing week to week. Speculation is dangerous, but I think that as long as you know that your own speculations are not the screenplay, like you're not writing the show so that when the show doesn't fulfill your speculations, you're not dis disappointed. It's all about, does the show fulfill its own narrative based on what it has developed? Yep. And then the creepiness of the beekeeper. Yeah. This was like a scene that really <laughs> stood out just the way that it was filmed, like especially with it being in black and white in this empty street and this guy just magically appears from the sewers, looks at everyone, and then Wanda says no, and then 
you know, things go back. So at this point, you knew that, again, there was more to meet the eye. Um, and I just love that so much because it just, like, really was setting the stage for things to come. Yeah, and, like, I love, like, so when I wrote my recap uh, for Film School Rejects after those first two episodes, you're, like, you're trying to figure out, like, okay, what are they hinting at? Beekeeper. All right. Beekeepers in the Marvel Universe. We sometimes call those characters from AIM beekeepers. Maybe AIM is in this. They mentioned Strucker. Could Strucker be coming back? Ooh, what about Strucker's twins, the Fenri twins? Those would be great villains against Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. It's got to be the Fenri twins. And like, you know, uh, and then suddenly the next episode comes out, you're like, okay, so maybe those hexagonal shapes were just referring to the hex and not <laughs> the symbols on the Ames uh, scientists. Okay, got to reevaluate, got to reevaluate and change up my speculation. And so either that is a frustrating experience or it's kind of hilarious and uh, you got to make peace with it. Yeah, and I love the fact that this show took us for a ride. Like, Yes. If anyone predicted the show from beginning to end, they're 100% lying to you. Everyone had their own opinion at some oh, point. Yeah. Everyone made some guesses. And at some point, you were proven wrong. Like, there's no one who got everything right in this show. No, they trolled. They trolled. Like, And well done. Like, in a great way. Exactly like you say. Either you're reading so much into it, and you're completely off. And every week, you're having to recalibrate. Or they're just, you know, they're playing with their dinner. They're playing with their food. Like, it's just hilarious because I was watching some of those sites, those YouTube channels that would review everything and say, oh, the Grim Reaper's helmet was under there, you know, that type of thing. And, you, and I'm reading the Vision series that we're all talking about. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, holy cow, like this. And then I'm like, OK, I got to park my nerd rage because, like, <laughs> obviously this is just doing its own thing. They're picking and choosing what they want. And they're they're paying us tribute as comic book fans, like they're paying the fans that know the inside baseball. They're paying them the 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 respect that they deserve, but they're not going to give in on every front, right? Because it's Marvel. We know watching twenty some odd movies leading up to something, I'm like, okay, I think I got the pace of this now. You know what? Just go in each Friday and watch it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like because like they've never straight adapted a storyline from the comics. Now they've had titles. They'd be like, this is the winter soldier, but their winter soldier is nothing like the comic book winter soldier mm -hmm. age of Ultron. Same deal. Like they've civil war. No, like there are flavors and there are references and they are definitely, some are it more in the spirit than others, but the, you're never They're never going to go like, this is everything you've already read. And why would we want them to? Yeah, even with this, because I went and I, I joined Marvel Unlimited yeah. and I started reading a lot of comics, obviously. Yeah. And Boris is like, oh, you got to read Civil War. And I'm like, well, I've seen it. And then I start reading it and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, <laughs> I, I forget that, hey, look, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, they're all accessible. There's no Disney deal or 20th Century Fox division or anything like that. And I'm like. Oh, this is a completely game-changing dynamic. Yep. And that's what they Thor. do. With, yeah, exactly. That's what they do with, with WandaVision is they pick what they want to and they, they pick the best. And then they're able to expand on that further if they want. You and know, I think they can choose. 
Exactly. And to that point, what I think what really messed with us more is the fact that this is the first property where we're seeing some shape, way, or form of integration of other properties that they couldn't touch before. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in yeah, a we'll second. Get to that I've got a, a lot second. to say about that. I got a lot to say about that. <laughs> All right. So let's inch closer to that big reveal or the big red herring. Uh, we'll find out in a little bit. So episode number three was now in color. Wanda and Vision are extremely colorful and wearing very 70s outfits in a setting reminiscent to the Partridge family or the Brady Bunch. Uh, the doctor makes a home visit and officially declares Wanda pregnant interesting stuff there um so i'm gonna stop there because that was probably the first time that i you know did the leonardo dicaprio point and i'm like mephisto <laughs> <laughs> like i i'm one of those people who i'm like that's gotta be mephisto i've read that comic i'm a geek i know stuff i mean like <laughs> You know, the the, the storyline around the children in the comics is so tied to Mephisto. And by that point, also, with nosy neighbor Agnes played perf- you know, professionally by Catherine ha- Hahn, mm-hmm. uh, you, I, you know, I knew she was Agatha Harkness from the first episode. And it's like the only thing I can say that I knew. Yeah. Because it's the only thing that played out. But, you know, because we had Agatha Harkness there, because we were going into a storyline involving the children that should not be, you know, Mephisto is so important to that story in the comics. It seemed like no way that character was not going to appear at some point or another. Um, and I did that like, okay, that's Mephisto. Hold on. Wait a second. That's Stork over there. What if the Stork (laughs) is Mephisto? Uncle Scratchy. Hold up. Uncle Scratchy's Mephisto. That's Cicada over there. That's Mephisto. (laughs) I love it. I love the games that they played with us. Um, and also, you know, episode three, the focus was really on Billy and Tommy. Um, and for those of you who know the comic books, that can be some really heart-wrenching stuff. Um, you know, this is essentially what drives Wanda insane in House of M. It's the kids that never actually existed. You know, the kids that were created by Mephisto and gifted to Wanda and Vision, you know, and and, and she essentially sold her soul. For lack of a better word, there's a lot and, and decades of continuity in the middle of there, but that's essentially it. Um, <laughs> but you knew that, Billy and Tommy in the comic books never existed. And that literally haunted Wanda for years and years and years. They never existed until they did exist. Yeah. So like, that's the beauty of comic books because you have like 19, uh, 19, like probably like a hundred writers who have shaped and molded that particular storyline. So it's impossible to trace really. Like, even if you're like going, like, I want to learn through Wikipedia, good freaking luck. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's impossible to trace the origins of Billy and Tommy and to like come to the end and really understand it. Um, yeah. Welcome to my world. And yeah, you yeah. guys have just changed the ending for me now because of the context of hearing the voices of the kids while she's doing that projection. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> wow. So, like, that that light bulb literally just went on above my head. Thanks, Boris. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, at this point, the couple starts outfitting the nursery and 
they start considering baby names. Wanda's pregnancy develops rapidly, and in just a few days, she's ready to give birth. Vision runs off to find the doctor. Geraldine. This is when we are officially really introduced to Geraldine. Yeah, she makes a major appearance in the appearance, a major appearance in the previous episode, but this is kind of uh, where we see that there's more that meets the eye with Geraldine. Um, so Geraldine helps Wanda through the delivery of two boys, Tommy and Billy. But afterward, when Wanda mentions her own twin Pietro, and Geraldine makes a reference to Ultron, Wanda expels her from the sitcom of Westview. So this is again, you know. There was a lot of guessing of who Geraldine was going to end up being, um, but this is really the first time that we again saw that the town of Westview is there's you know there's more to it. We see that it it lives within the MCU in some shape, way, or form. I love the third episode mostly because of the chemistry between Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen you really feel like Wanda and Vision are deeply in love and watching them interact together uh, you feel warm all over and while there's like all this goofy hijinks happening with this accelerated pregnancy when the babies do come you are legitimately happy for them even though you know something's up. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And touching on Tommy and Billy, um, you know, in the comics, they eventually become Wiccan and Speed. Um, and then we also have Kate Bishop. So is a future plan of the MCU to have the young Avengers? Without a doubt. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, uh, a sure bet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that um, property is is going to keep on growing. <laughs> yep. The commercial in this episode was Hydra Soak. Um, it, you know, it's so, yeah, there's it's it's right in front of you. And again, it's it's Hydra. So, again, references to Wanda um, and Pietro's childhood. Uh, so this time it's Hydra Soak, a luxury bath powder that promises to let people find the goodness within. Is this a reference to Scarlet Witch being transformed from within by the Mind Stone? Maybe. So there is, again, the commercials are a major part of this show. So episode three, um, you know, this was the first time in since Age of Ultron, that we heard the name Pietro. Uh, so, you know, it was also large because at this point, that's when my mind started going. Are we going to see something? Is something going to happen? What's going on here? I mean, yeah, and we knew already, even before going into WandaVision, that Wanda was going to play a major role in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yep. So you're anticipating how this show is going to set up the multiverse. Uh, and, and it feels like at a certain point, it's going to be a sure thing. And then you know, we can talk about that in a second. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Because I think this leads us into the ever so popular Episode number four. So for those of you who haven't watched the show and you're listening to this, I don't know what you're doing. You should, probably should have watched the show first. But if you haven't, you know, you can probably, and if you're a binge watcher, you can probably binge the first four episodes to finally wrap your head around stuff and see where this show is going. Episode number four was entitled, We Interrupt This Program. So this 
episode um, starts off with Monica Rambeau waking up in a hospital room to discover that her mother died while she was blipped out of existence for five years by Thanos' snap. So I just love the fact that, again, we're getting reference to the blip, we're getting reference to Endgame, so we are also starting to put a timeline on where and when this show is kind of happening. Uh, so Monica returns work to S.W.O.R.D., and she's assigned to work with FBI agent Jimmy Woo on a strange missing persons case. She gets sucked into the anomaly around the town of Westview. Uh, to get Monica back, Jimmy brings in Dr. Darcy Lewis, an astrophysicist who figures out that Westview is broadcasting a TV signal. They watch the WandaVision show and identify several Westview residents as characters, but don't know why the phenomena is happening. Later, Monica is ejected from Westview by Wanda. Yeah, it was nice for me as a casual Marvel fan to see uh, the doctor from Thor. You know what I mean? Like, I was just like, hey, these are characters I know. And, and then you could start to see it was like, I'm looking at it and going, well, who's Monica? And then thinking, oh, that's the little girl from Captain Marvel type thing. You know what I mean? Like, little checkboxes were going off on my own. So I, I felt really good about this direction as far as its traction to the MCU because it started putting it into perspective of the blip and everything as well, right? So I was like, okay, you're rewarding the fans who watched all of the other movies. Bravo. Like, you've done more than any other Marvel TV show has ever done as far as I'm concerned in terms of just gently pulling somebody in and saying to them, you thought you were out, but no, you're still a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love this episode and how it positions uh, Monica's story, uh, Wanda's story, and even director Hayward's story uh, in the shadow of the events of Avengers Endgame. Because when the blip happened, when the snap happened, the catastrophe of that on Earth is unmeasurable, uh, is an unimaginable, like what that would do to our lives. And so, you know, um, uh, Monica comes out of the hospital. The hospital's in total chaos, like visually experiencing that it's exhilarating. Um, we're seeing how this affects the citizens. Uh, and not just the heroes of the Marvel Universe. And Monica learning that her mom passed while she was away is a loss as great as Wanda experienced losing the vision. And, you know, that allows her later on to recognize and uh, understand and empathize with Wanda. They can share that grief together. But also with director Hayward, you know, what he's doing is also in response to the catastrophe that was the blip and the links that he is willing to go by any means necessary to protect this planet from further uh, such uh, apocalypses, um, you know, like is understandable as well. Uh, even though director Hayward, because of screen time, is probably the most one dimensional character in the entire series, mm -hmm. you still get it. Yeah, you know that he's a douche, you know? Like, they, and he, he's a douche with a master evil plan somewhere. That's, you know, that that's right. his deal. But, but he, but it, but it stems from 
this horror that happened to him yeah. and us, which I think is yeah. interesting. Well, I, interesting. I thought it was interesting in, in the sense that it really felt political. And then it really changed the way I thought about Infinity War and that snap and how some people would be victims and some people would be predators. So I immediately made the distinction. This guy's a predator because he took that event, whether motivated by, you know, protectionism or whatever, but he's, he's obviously manipulating the situation to leverage himself further and further into where he wants to go, whatever that is. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wish they would have explored that even further. Like, I really wish they had given him a little more depth. Like, the idea of him taking this event and making it a power grab. But because he has so little screen time, Mm -hmm. all we can say is, like, that dude's a douche. You know, he gives me douche (laughs) vibes. And he is clearly operating against our heroes, and he's being a dick about it. Uh, But, like, the depth of that character ends there. Yeah. yeah. One thing that I found interesting, and this is something that, I, just like you, I want them to explore a little more because we see this explored in other properties. So hopefully we get the same with the blip. And that is, if we think back to the original Avengers movie, you know, the, 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 the attack on New York and the Battle of New York and things like that, we see a lot of the MCU get shaped from that in the sense of, yeah. you know, we from the human point of view, from the non-superhero point of view, you know, Spider-Man um, Homecoming, for example, uh, you know, we, we, we see it right away where the villains are created because of that, because of the political uh, ramifications that happen around the cleanup of the Battle of New York. So, you know, now we're kind of seeing the same with the blip, where the blip is obviously going to spark a a much larger debate within the MCU and kick off a lot of events. And, you know, people will now be motivated. People will now have reasons to do whatever it is that they do because of the blip. And that's what's so exciting about the MCU, right, is they can have an event in a blockbuster movie and then feed off it in side films for years to come. Mm-hmm. Yep. While building up their new big bad. Right. <laughs> you know, because it's definitely on the road to a climax at some point X years down the road. <laughs> yep. Be careful when you say X and the MCU nowadays. <laughs> oh, oh, good point. No, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, I'll surf so, around it. Exactly. So <laughs> don't even say that. <laughs> I know, I did that on purpose. <laughs> I know. Um, so we saw the return of Jimmy Woo, and he finally figured out the trick from Ant-Man, and I absolutely love that. As minor as that was, that just gave me so much pleasure as a viewer um, of the MCU and all of their properties, kind of like seeing something so minor come back, and we get the payoff. Um you know, we also see Darcy Lewis. We haven't seen her since uh, since Thor 2. So, you know, that was a thing. We see reference to scrolls uh, when Jimmy Woo and everyone was trying to figure out what was happening in the hex. Um, it was under what we don't know. Uh, you know, we see scr- uh, scrolls are mentioned. Um, you know, and we see a lot of connections at this point. So now we're starting to see the bigger MCU and the not only the magical world of the MCU, not only the space and multiverse world of the MCU, but we're kind of seeing the MCU for what it will be moving forward. 
The other thing, and the last thing I wanted to bring up before I get some more of your reactions and hot takes, and that is the cast of WandaVision. And I think this is the biggest red herring throughout the entire show, and that's who are these people? People who live in Westview, being controlled by Wanda at this point. Do they have another character? Are they portraying someone else? And now thinking about this, you know, we probably should have known better about a certain character at this point because, you know, they seem to be pretty regular folk at this point. You mean like the, the, like the background Westview citizens? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, like you, like we were saying earlier, you know, every person you were pointing to and going like that, that could be somebody else, you know, like why do you cast the mom from that '70s show in here? Like yeah. she's Mephisto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep, everyone was Mephisto but at e some even, point. Even to the point, like it's it's in this timeline when they start assembling the pictures of the people and putting their backstories up as far as what they were thinking in their reality or whatever right and trying to say well that guy's not actually this guy he's someone else like the real person's this and we people were freeze framing that and trying to read into well who's mephisto right and they're like the mailman's mephisto because they've never identified him and they even yeah. got the sequencing out of order so somebody who wasn't on the board in the next episode was on the board in the previous episode. Yeah. So there was some some fun edits in there too. I can only imagine what what went on on Disney side. Oh yeah, you know that they're having fun with us at this point. After everyone was, uh, you know, stop framing and making everything slow, trying to watch Mandalorian for those background <laughs> things. So you know that now at this point they're just trolling us very hard. Yeah, I can translate Mandalorian language now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, episode... That's not a good skill. <laughs> episode number five. It does not five. help on a dating profile. <laughs> oh, <Sorry>. Lord. <laughs> uh, on a very special episode, uh, Wanda and Vision are fully in the 1980s with Wanda sporting big, poofy hair. Tommy and Billy grow up instantly from babies to age five and again to age ten. They also find a dog, Sparky, Vision goes to work where he reads an email sent from S.W.O.R.D. that prompts him to wake up. Um, what else happens here? Uh, this is the episode where we S.W.O.R.D. sends in a drone into Westview. A furious Wanda emerges and warns acting director Hayward to leave her alone. Upon her return, Vision confronts her over the truth of the town and its residents. Their argument is interrupted by the arrival of a surprise visitor. And that is Pietro Maximoff, Wanda's dead twin brother. However, as Darcy Lewis notes, um, watching on the TV, he has been recast. Yeah, um, that ending, which some people had uh, considered before the episode actually dropped, felt like a massive turning point in the MCU. And like in a lot of ways, it felt like the introduction of a massive villain. Like we here we are. There's Evan Peters playing Quicksilver, but not the Quicksilver we know. It's 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 the X-Men in the MCU. So we're going into the multiverse. Doctor Strange 2 is on the horizon. Spider-Man 3 is here. We're going to have a, a version of the Spider-Verse in those films. Mm -hmm. It's wild. This is the next big phase. Here we go. 
And then we thought about that for a long time until the last episode. (laughs) But again, it it just goes to show you, like, you know, they meticulously think through every possible um, scenario that we're going to think of and, you know, try to build up something. And some of it might stick. Some of it might not. Some of it might have been a red herring of a red herring. We don't know just yet. Um, But the fact that we saw Evan Peters, who was arguably, like, the best character in the Fox X-Men universe, um, show up in the MCU. It just blew everybody's mind. The internet was completely destroyed. This was, you know, this was the equivalent of Luke Skywalker showing up in Mandalorian. Yeah, Yeah. it's the best cliffhanger we've had probably since then, and that wasn't even a cliffhanger. This is like the best cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, this this was the nerdgasm heard around the world. (laughs) <laughs> like quite literally even it gave I, a lot I, of boners yeah i did because yeah, I, I i i went on i i watched it and i didn't realize what had happened other than the back of my mind i went hey that was a dude from uh, x-men and then when we were recording the podcast then the light bulb went off and i'm like oh my god this changes everything <laughs> it's like or does it like we just don't know and that's that is what i do genuinely enjoy about the job that was done on this particular series to the fandom. Yeah. And it's funny because like this episode, it was about the kids, the kids growing up life with, uh, you know, Wanda and vision, them kind of getting used to having children. It felt like a very, not even bland episode, but an episode that could be written off as just something else happening. Yeah, we got a lot of like the back and forth between, um, you know, the MCU and the real world and everything that's happening inside the hex, but nothing major happened up until those last, like, you know, 30 seconds. But the relationship between Vision and Wanda is starting to intensify. Yeah. Vision mm-hmm. is starting to realize that things are not what they seem and maybe his wife is holding things back from him and before the doorbell rings we have one of the best moments in the series where they are fighting and she like wraps up the fight credits roll and vision's like no credits stop and then like like the way that was all handled uh was very clever and like intense and then we were um, like that, that intensity was undercut by this revelation of Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. at this point, you know, Wanda is a character throughout the comics that she's played both villain and hero. So at this point, even here in the show and in the MCU, she's kind of had, you know, that, that, that back and forth between villain and hero. And at this point, it seemed like she was heading more towards the villain side, you know. And I know that some people at this point were also speculating, is Wanda the big bad in her own show. Yeah. And let's not forget the importance of that drone. Because that, that ending wouldn't have happened. And that was something that was so benign in this episode, but ended up having such a huge impact on how everything sewed up. So it was actually an eventful episode, despite the fact that it was pretty much five minutes at the end that got all of our, Eyeball Attention. time. Attention, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anything else before we move on? Uh, I just want to say that, again, the same way that they did a perfect replication of Brady Bunch and Bewitched and Dick Van Dyke 
family ties well represented in yes. this episode. And that was yes. a show that I watched on air uh, as it was going on. I have deep affection for family ties. Yeah, yep, same, same here. here. Same here. Um, all right, episode We're number old. six. We are old. Uh, episode number six, which is deep in Easter eggs and comic book references and suits and costumes, um, was called All New uh, six Halloween spooktacular. Uh, so one envision and the twins move into the late nineties and early two thousands in a stall reminiscent to Malcolm in the middle. It's Halloween and Wanda and vision are wearing costumes similar to the ones in their comic book, uh, character selves would wear vision lies and says he can't join the family's outing because he has to patrol for neighborhood watch when he's actually exploring the outer edges of Westview. So again, playing on the fact that not everything is perfect in uh, the land of Wanda and Vision. So Wanda and her brother Pietro take Billy and Tommy trick-or-treating. He asks her about the creation of Westview. Meanwhile, outside of town, acting director Tyler Hayward kicks out Monica, Jimmy, and Darcy for questioning his tactics. They find a way to hack into S.W.O.R.D.'s system, and Monica and Jimmy depart to meet with a contact of hers that can get her back into Westview's bubble. So this was also one of my favorite red herrings, and that was the astrophysicist and the you know, the, 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 who is this person going to oh, be? Oh man. I think <laughs> everyone and their mother at some point expected this to be Reed Richards. Uh, yeah. I've actually yeah. blanked out all of the speculation <laughs> around the astrophysicist <laughs> until this moment you mentioned it. Uh yeah, Reed Richards, the Blue Marvel, Sue Storm, like, yeah. like yeah, like yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's just an extra, guys. It's just an extra. But I love it. I love the games that they played on us. Um, so during a disturbing encounter with Agnes, Vision learns he's dead. He approaches the perimeter of Westview, but leaving the bubble proves deadly to him as he starts deteriorating as he leaves the Hex. Alerted to his predicament by her son, Wanda uses her powers to extend Westview's borders, bringing in the sword camp. And making him into circus folk. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great ending. That's a, that's yeah. a, that episode was a fantastic ending. And this was the episode that really started me thinking that they were they were doing their damnedest to position Wanda as a malevolent force, mm -hmm. and um, I started to I started to go like, okay, how how sinister are they going to go with her character? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and again, like I loved Elizabeth Olsen's performance throughout, and when she does extend that barrier, just even on a close up of her eyes, how she is communicating. Uh, where she is in that moment, yep. like masterclass performance. She was phenomenal in this show, just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, um, yep. hands down, uh, stood out for me. So, yeah, and Paul Bettany did great too. Yeah. To be honest, oh, yeah. like, yeah, I know Paul is, is such a renowned professional and whatnot, but his depth of portrayal, and, and I really felt that he got Vision into a completely different headspace for me. So uh, I really appreciated it. it made the, again, the ending that much more impactful. Yep. Right. Um, 
and then, you know, in the later part of the episode, that Pietro starts asking a lot of questions, too many questions. He, he's too aware of what's actually gone on, going on. So Wanda is kind of cluing in and not sure about who this person is. And she starts kind he's of doubting herself show. also. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He was about the tenth person as Mephisto at this point. <laughs> he was up there with the cicada. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like that scene is the scene where you're like, okay, well, there's still some strings being pulled that even Wanda is not aware of. So like you you still figured there was a reveal that was not going to make Wanda the bad bad of the show yeah that there would there was going to be somebody to punch or throw fireballs at <laughs> yeah. yeah mephisto, yeah, mephisto. <laughs> al pacino was gonna play mephisto exactly um it was also at this point that you kind of knew that you know uh wanda wasn't in full control that there was other elements in charge um and at this point this kind of is when it solidified to me who at least one of the main villains of the show was going to be, um, you know, and 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 as much as they tried to throw you off uh, with uh, Agnes, you know, in the car being manipulated by Wanda, at this point, you know, I kind of had a big feeling, especially as she's wearing the witch costume. It's like, okay, if she's not Agatha Harkness, I'm done with this show. Yeah, and like, yeah. what I mean, even that scene. It, 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 what she says to Vision propels him to venture beyond the hex, exactly. which is what she wanted to happen. It's a it, she's a master manipulator. Yep, yeah, and that's exactly it. Like the fact that she was able to kind of bring more doubt into Vision's head about everything, about Westview, about Wanda. You know, you knew that she was, you know, kind of pulling some strings somewhere, but you didn't know exactly which string she was pulling and how much control she had over everything. But, you know, this is when you knew that the Hex, there was a power struggle happening in the in the Hex in general. Which leads us into episode number seven, which was... Um, you know, it now now has probably one of the most famous ending themes in all of TV history. So episode number seven was called Breaking the Fourth Wall. The show transitions into the 2000s, 2010s uh, with what's clearly an homage to Modern Family. The characters speak directly to the camera as if they're filming a mockumentary or a documentary. Wanda wakes up after her Halloween expansion of Westview, but her powers are now acting erratically and the uh, the cores keep switching in, you know, through the various decades that we've seen throughout the show. Agnes drops by and offers to take care of the twins to allow Wanda some time alone. Meanwhile, Vision recognizes Darcy from the outside of the Hex and wakes her up. So Darcy, in the previous episode, was stuck in the Hex um, as it was expanding. So she ends up part of one of the characters. Uh, so at this point... Um, Darcy explains what's going on, and they attempt to drive back to the house. However, a series of obstacles leads them to conclude that Wanda wasn't doesn't want Vision to return yet. Outside the bubble, Monica's contact outfits her with a lunar vehicle. However, her attempt to drive through the boundary fails, so Monica runs through it herself. Uh, the passage alters her, and she's able to see energy fields, which was honestly just... I love this scene throughout. Uh, when she confronts Wanda, Monica also displays some power of her own. Agnes arrives to tell Monica to leave and takes Wanda back to her house. There, 
Wanda notices the twins are missing and ventures to the basement to find them. Instead, she discovers a magical lair. Agnes enters and introduces herself as Agatha Harkness, a witch. She has been manipulating Westview, including sending Pietro, or as everyone has been calling him, Pietro, the entire time. (laughs) Wanda's, or, or Elizabeth Olsen's, uh, mimicry of Julie Bowen from Modern Family mm-hmm. is um, uh, is another masterclass in acting. Uh, incredibly impressive. Bravo, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, yeah, that was that was really well done. I, I enjoyed the mockumentary or the fourth dimension, and immediately knew. Like I even questioned at one point, are they mimicking The Office a little bit? Like it was just such a well done blend of that whole genre that blitz TV and yeah, it was, I, I just, I did get a little chuckle out of that, that reference and that, that inclusion of that style. I, I almost wish there had been more of it rather than it, you know, like when sword mm-hmm. was enveloped, if it had morphed into an office setting, like how great would it have been to explore the lives of the sword people through the lens of the office? Like I want that show. That's a show. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That'd be so good. Um, So the commercial in this episode really spelled things out for the comic lovers. Um, You know, it was the, uh, it was the Nexus, the Nexal Pramach side. Uh, so, you know, a Nexus character is someone who lives outside of the multiverse. Um, so, you know, this was a probably the biggest, here you are, we're setting up Doctor Strange, we're setting up the multiverse, we're setting up Spider-Man 3, you know, take it in all its glory at this point. Are they, though? <laughs> <laughs> now you have me doubting yeah. myself. Can't trust anything. I know. Can't trust nothing. <laughs> it's like it's like a fart after Mexican food. I'm just <laughs> saying that they have like they have been teasing the multiverse since far from home. You know, they were planting seeds with Mysterio. Obviously, Mysterio was not going to be a hero from another Earth. Uh, Mysterio is a trickster, a, a, a master of of illusion. Um, that was all BS, and I think that worked really well in far from home but then to tease the multiverse the way that they do in this series and like they put the nexus there we have fietro i like i just want i want to i'm gonna push pause right now let's come back to this conversation uh, in the series <laughs> finale uh just to talk a little bit more about the multiverse but i'm i i, I feel very teased by marvel well, it's the biggest tease of all of Doctor Strange 2 is actually has multiverse in the title. <laughs> and then I'll laugh my my junk off if if there is no multiverse in the multiverse of madness. And it's True another enough. Mysterio movie. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Why do you hate Brad so much, Disney? <laughs> um one of the major things here was, uh, you know, as Monica was going through into the hex, she, you know, she gets her powers. Um, and as she's trying to push her way into Westview, there's audio Easter eggs from Captain Marvel, including clips of Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Uh, we see or hear Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, who says only if you learn to glow. Uh, Monica kind of does this by the end of the episode. So that's a really 
awesome and cool and fun. Um, but I think the most important takeaway for me was when Captain Marvel Carol Danvers was mentioned to Monica and that reaction that she gave, like, don't mention her name around me. She abandoned my mom. She abandoned me twice, you know? So I kind of, I like this setup that they're going. Maybe, maybe. Like, I think you're inferring a lot there. We don't know. I, she I definitely had a reaction. What was that reaction? I'm not ready to say. Yeah. Because the moment I say I know what that reaction was, another episode comes out and says, Brad, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Uh, so like I, I, we know that Tiona Parrish is going to be in Captain Marvel two. that confrontation or reunion or whatever you want to call it is definitely going to happen. But like mm -hmm. where, like what we, we still don't even really know. Like if Carol Danvers has been visiting earth this entire time, or if she hasn't been back, like was her return in Endgame, her first return to Earth? Yeah. Or had she been coming back? We don't know. We don't yeah, know. we don't know yet. 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 Um, so this is the episode that made Avengers West Coast Volume 2, number 51, skyrocket in price. Um, because this is, again, Agatha. It was Agatha all along. And um, essentially, in that book... Um, Agatha tells Wanda that her twins were fragments of the soul of Mephisto, who has been rumored to appear in WandaVision. And once again, everyone is like, he's got to be the big bad, right? Right, Brad? Yeah. Yeah, he's got to be. He's got to be. I love that we live in a world where now people are like, we got to own all the Agatha Harkness comics. <laughs> That's my character. Catherine Hahn is the best. Like, that's the brilliance of the MCU is that they could take a character like Agatha Harkness and go like, yeah, this character is actually pretty significant and you should love her like we do. Yeah, yeah. but also the fact that they unparked the Vision <laughs> series from Marvel Unlimited and put it back for sale. Like, I'm just like, oh, geez, now you got another seven bucks out of me, Marvel. Well done. Well yeah, done. Yeah, I, bought, yeah. I bought the first graphic novel. <laughs> it's good. It's a good series. It's worth it. But I'm just like, shrewd. Yes. Yeah, they're not. They're no dummies. <laughs> this, they are capitalists. Exactly. <laughs> the, the mouse knows how to make money. You can't deny that. All right. Episode eight. Entitled previously on, in a flashback, Agatha is on trial in Salem, Massachusetts in 8-16-93. She's facing fellow witches in her coven who accuse her of stealing dark magic secrets when they attempt to take her power. She seemingly siphons theirs instead. In the present day, she explains her agenda to Wanda, just like a good 007 villain, villain uh, which is understanding how and why the Hex was created. Agatha takes her on a memory trip, the first stop of which is her childhood in Sokovia. Uh, there they discover that Wanda performed a, a probability hex over a Stark bomb to prevent it from blowing up. The next stop is the Hydra experiment that gave Wanda her powers, or at least expanded her powers. However, they learn that the Mind Stone enhanced her abilities. Next, they witness a tender moment between Wanda and Vision, um, then Wanda visiting S.W.O.R.D. headquarters to retrieve Vision's corpse. However, instead of stealing it, Wanda says goodbye. She drives to Westview, where Vision had purchased the house um, a lot. In her grief, her powers erupt and creates the sitcom-like 
bubble around the town. Agatha ends the memory trip and holds Wanda's twin boys hostage. She declares that Wanda is the Scarlet Witch, and this is when, in a post credit scene, Tyler Hayward uses remnants of Wanda's power from the drone in the early episode to recreate, reconstruct, reconfigure, reprogram the body of Vision. A lot of good stuff going on in this episode. A lot of good stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. I love the reveal that Wanda did not steal Vision's body. I love that scene Mm -hmm. where she can't feel him uh, and she wanders away in total despair. And then that, like, what a gut punch of a scene, you know, in the lot with that little blueprint with vision's handwriting and a cute little drawing on there. Like you feel her pain and you forgive her for doing whatever she had to do to, uh, find that solace once again, to find that romance. Once again, you totally understand it. Yeah. Um, now this, this was the episode as well, right? When they were doing the time travel and back where they exposed the Dick Van Dyke show. Right? Yeah, the With Walnut episode. Yeah, and I really I really like that touch to pay the direct homage in show to it and show how she related to those genres through yeah, and, her family experience. And why this fantasy world looks the way that it does because yeah. it, these shows represent a safe space uh, and they have since she was a child. Yeah, it definitely changed the construct of which I haven't rewatched all of those early episodes, but it definitely changes the lens in which I'm going to rewatch them now mm-hmm. just because of that. Because before I felt like it was, it was just this um, formulaic thing, right? Like, like it was something else might've been triggering it or whatever. You just don't know until you know, and this yeah. was a great episode for letting you know, okay, there is actual meaning. There's definition here. It's not just a, a a thing that's being applied to the show. And you think about it, if you had her gift, what fantasy world would you create? You know, you would go and live in the Mandalorian. You would go find that mm-hmm. galaxy far, far away. We all yeah. have those entertainments that we value above others that are our safe spaces. Um, and and I, I, I think that's just a very clever um, idea and a very clever use of the Scarlet Witch's abilities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the fact that she didn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was a reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a crucial detail there. And as the later episodes really prove, you know, we see that she just doesn't really know the extent of her powers. And I love how they're really introducing her to being a witch, you know, including the relics, right? And we're going to touch on that in a little bit. But, you know, the fact that in the final post credit scene, we see relics all around. And, you know, she's now discovering and starting to use her powers as a witch. So, you know, we're getting the Scarlet Witch at this point and not just Wanda with some abilities from from the Mind Stone. Um, yeah, this Agatha is... says knowledge is power, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Get exactly. ready, gang, when Wanda starts reading. Yeah. Yep. One of my favorite quotes, well, there's two quotes that really struck a chord with me. One of them made me laugh. 
One of them, I think, you know, uh, struck a chord with a lot of people's heartstrings. So the one that made me laugh was when Wanda asks, where are my children? And Agatha mockingly says, where are my children? Oh, that accent really comes and goes, doesn't it? Um, You know, (laughs) throughout the entire series, we kind of saw the accent being dropped in Westview, in the hex, and then outside of it, you know, she has her regular accent. But the quote that got a lot of people talking was, what is grief if not love preserving. It's a brilliantly written line and it is a line once heard um, you, you, you hold on to it. You're going to carry that with you in your own life experiences. It's just so utterly quotable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's a quote in the ninth episode that goes hand in hand with this one. Um, so I'll put a pin on that. Um, and continue discussing episode eight because this one was really the, you know, it was really setting things up for the finale. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed this episode because again, you know, we kind of see the culmination of everything. We see the the dots finally con- connecting. We see uh, Hayward's plan come into fruition. We see the drone being used. We see Agatha really revealing herself. We get the full background of Wanda. Um, we and and even Petro. We we see everything really coming together at this point, um, and and really sets the stage for something major to happen so i think that uh, a lot of fans at this point were still where's mephisto but this is the point where you're like okay yeah unless there's actually 10 episodes and they're (laughs) both an hour long i don't know they're going to be able to pull off the mephisto the multiverse and the agatha confrontation and not to mention, you know, Monica's transformation and all of that in one 49-minute chunk. Uh, so when we got done with the second to last episode, I said, okay, you might you might need to, like, temper your expectations on your speculations, Brad. Yeah, 100%. Wow. I, I, I talked with Boris on, on, on that week, and I'm like, was that the last episode? Why would there be nine, right? Because it just was ringing weird to me, and I'm like... I watched it thinking it was the last episode. Clearly it's not unless they're really messing with us. Like <laughs> there's going to be a season two, like, and that's a weird spot to leave it. Yeah. So it was a little bit disarming to see the, the number count. Like I'm glad that you mentioned off the top that episodes one and two were aired in the same week, obviously to keep that eight week schedule, but that didn't compute with me. That weekend. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, and- I understandably, yeah, and just like you, yeah. Brad, I, I kind of figured at this point, okay, if Mephisto or the Big Bad isn't going to be revealed at the end of this episode, there's so many things already happening, I hope they don't. And that's why the yeah. final episode, um, you know, was good for me. I really enjoyed it because they had so much going on. There's still a bunch of questions. I think that they actually did too much in the show sometimes. Um, and, and they left a lot kind of... Nothing was really left open. Well, a lot was left open, but I feel like a lot of it was rushed. I I mean, like, ultimately, I am very satisfied with WandaVision as a whole. I think that the last episode does a few characters poorly. Uh, I, I am 
still miffed about the multiverse thing, the revelation that Quicksilver is Ralph Boner, um, which, you know, I appreciate a Growing Pains reference as yep. much as the next person. And I, you know, I love that we finally got to see the Ralph that Agatha was always talking about or Agnes was always referencing. Um, but like to me, introducing Evan Peters as Quicksilver in, in a character who, that is masquerading to be the other Quicksilver, like that is acknowledging a multiverse. And then you say, like, actually, no, that's just Ralph Boner. Unless, unless we go into further Disney Plus episodes, movies, and we learn that that Ralph Boner is the Evan Peters, is the Peter uh, Quicksilver that we know and love. And actually, like, we, there was that reference way back in episode four of Jimmy Woo looking for uh, a missing person, somebody yeah. who who's on the FBI's uh, witness protection list. Like if that's Ralph Boner is on that protection list, is he an escapee from the multiverse? Okay. All is forgiven. But if that is the end of the multiverse storyline within one division and that Evan Peters is not the Evan Peters we already knew, I call BS on that. I think that's lame. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with you. And I believe that there is still more that we're going to explore. Um, just, and I don't know whether this is just me being an optimist or, you know, me not wanting to be angry, but I really think in, in my in my heart of hearts that we're <laughs> there, there is more to explore. I mean, it's got to be because, like, how weird would it be if they do tell a multiverse story, uh, but Evan Peters as Quicksilver is not a part of it, and that it's saying that in other multiverses, there is people who look like you that aren't you, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if the X-Men universe exists and there's this guy who looks like Evan Peters, but in the MCU, he looks like Aaron Taylor Johnson, but there is a guy who looks like Evan Peters, but his name's Ralph Boner. <laughs> like, well, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. You know what? It, you blew my mind with the Ralph reference because I'm like, oh, that's actually. <laughs> Because I'm like, I was reading speculation today where they're like, will we ever find out who Ralph is? And I'm like, it was Ralph Boner. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. Ralph Boner. Ralph is not Mephisto. I thought for sure Ralph was Mephisto. Me too. <laughs> people thought uh, people thought the bunny was Mephisto. People thought the flowers were Mephisto. People thought Jimmy Woo was Mephisto. People thought Taylor Hayward was Mephisto. People thought Vision was yeah. Mephisto. It was hilarious. I also thought that Hayward was Ultron at one point. I was like, that yeah. dude is Ultron. <laughs> so That's it's legit. hilarious that you say that because at one point I legitimately did think the same because there was a Hayward character in Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who attacked S.H.I.E.L.D. He was a villain. Um, just having the last name Hayward, I'm like, oh, is this like, like some form of real connection because Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. did tie into um, Age of Ultron. So I'm like, you know, you know that meme of um, with with that guy with the conspiracy theory and the blackboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie That's how Day. I felt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. I think I think the show made a lot of us feel that way. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So this leads us into the series finale, episode number nine, wisely entitled "The Series Finale," um, and uh, we get a fight at the gazebo. So essentially, Wanda and Agatha 
they fight each other for half the episode. Um, uh, Vision, Hayward's Vision. I was always going to call him White Vision. And I'm like, nope, got to be a little more PC than that, Boris. So Hayward's... It's an an awkward... Like, everyone's calling him White Vision. He is white. He is the Vision. He's White Vision. But it's just... Let's... We got to come up with another name. Hayward's Vision. Like, he's just the Vision. Vision. He's credited as the Vision. He's the Vision. So Swords Vision. OG. Yeah. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Yeah, so there's there's a battle uh, between all the visions, Agatha, Scarlet Witch, and it's kind of like a power of wits where no matter what um, Scarlet Witch tried to do, Agatha had a counter to it until at one point a a reference from a previous episode about relics because at one point Agatha tells uh, Scarlet Witch that only the person who puts up the relics, can use magic. So that's exactly what Wanda does and the Scarlet Witch does. She puts up relics around the entire hex and she basically overpowers Agatha at this point. It's a long battle sequence and um, it's well done and it looks like a million bucks or a few million bucks. It's impressive that they, they spent the money that they did to, so that this show does not look like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or a Netflix series. Yep. This feels like an MCU story. But, you know, as you mentioned, it is half the episode. And with so much stuff that needed to wrap up, I don't know if I necessarily needed so much action. And I don't think this was really the kind of show where the action was going to be the most interesting stuff. Like, the conversations are, and the 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 emotions and the um, the the purpose behind these actions, the motivations. That's what I really wanted to get into. So when we take this long detour into a fireball fight, as awesome and gnarly as it looked, I I just kept seeing that clock get eaten and going like, oh, so goodbye multiverse. Goodbye, Spectrum. Uh, <laughs> goodbye, Mephisto. Goodbye, Doctor Strange. Um, I, like, I, w- I wish they had pulled back a little bit on that and given a little more time to the resolution of the show. Agreed. Like, yeah. Agreed 100%. Go ahead, Phil. The biggest thing I took away from it all was just, like, she absorbed the powers, right, uh, of Agatha and whatnot. And it was a convoluted way to tell you that story and, and to kind of bring you on this emotional journey between the two of them, it could have been done much more efficiently with the screen time. But the rumor mill is cranking out, obviously, that uh, uh, Doctor Strange was on set. There was a cameo filmed or there was something filmed that was going to be used possibly. And it might be footage that's going to be used in Doctor Strange 2. That's yeah. the thing that we don't know as fans because I've seen a lot of fan outrage right now where they're like, well, they cut it down and they they shortened the season by an episode and all this. And I'm like... I don't think so in talking to you, Brad. I'm like, I think this was very much to form. Yeah. And yeah, they wanted to pay off all the action sequences in that last one. I don't know that it really fits the show format, but I did enjoy the vision versus the the robotic oh. white vision. Like I, I actually ate that up more than I did Wanda and, and Agatha going at Yes. It. Yes. Because like that is that is such a painful confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. You're seeing the the hex vision, Wanda's creation confronting his old self or not even his self, but like the version that he was based on. Um, mm-hmm. 
the original vision now controlled and manipulated by Hayward. And like, what a perfect way to solve that over punching and fighting, right? Like the yeah. runes thing was cool, but the ship of Theseus was cool. Yeah. And that is a moment that's taken right out of a Mark Wade and Mike Del Mundo comic and Avengers all new, all different. I think it's issue number six. Yep. That run of comics is uh, one of my favorite Avengers runs, not nearly talked enough uh, as much as it should be, but I think it will be now thanks to this show. Um, and, and like that, that conversation made you feel uh, love for both the hex vision and for the OG vision or yeah. uh, Avenger reassembled as I'm calling him. I love it. Yeah. And as well, it also gave myself as a person, not, preview to the comics as much it gave me a great insight into the actual relationship between wanda and the vision stone you know what i mean like that stone and how it exists outside of of than like it being destroyed by thanos yeah like now we're actually gaining traction and understanding as a fan base as a casual fan base into how the universe moves forward still being relevant to those stones yeah and like Lisa and I talk a lot about the ship of Theseus um, idea. It's something that we've been thinking about since we covered Swamp Thing and Abigail on Comic Book Couples Counseling is how we are all the ship of Theseus, right? Like mm -hmm. we replace ourselves every seven years. Like the, the body we are today is not the body we were when we were born. We've replaced ourselves many times over. And I think that's something uh, that is just philosophically super rich to contemplate and hopeful knowing that too. There's always an opportunity to be somebody new. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, the townspeople get snapped away from, not snapped, you got to be very careful when you talk about what happens in the MCU. <laughs> so the townspeople... Yeah, trademark, trademark. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the townspeople get out of the Scarlet Witch's control. Um, the townspeople were upping the guilt on Wanda, saying we feel your pain and that your grief is poisoning us. Wanda uh, falls to the ground screaming. They all begin to choke. Wanda then decides she needs to do what's right for them. Shooting a massive beam into the sky creates a gap in the hex. Um, she yells everyone to leave. At one point, um, Agatha says to the Scarlet Witch... Uh, her power exceeds that of the Sorcerer Supreme. We all know that that's Doctor Strange. Um, we see the Scarlet Witch in a more traditional comic-like get-up, show up. Okay. Um, and before we get to the conclusion of the show and kind of the hex going away, I wanted to get your reaction up to this point. Well, I love that moment also right before that where... The Scarlet Witch tells Agatha, I don't need you to tell me who I am. Yeah. Um, I, I think that is a very powerful moment. Uh, and when she finally does break the hex and, uh, you know, having been confronted one more time with what she is doing to the citizens of Westview and really like how invasive and, and, and what an incredible violation she has committed upon an entire city, uh, you you understand it, but also like you think about well, what's Fox News going to say about this uh, <laughs> on their program the next day? Uh, it's going to be hard for Wanda to just walk down and head over to the local Starbucks 
with everyone knowing what she is capable of and doing. Um, So I love all that stuff. I love that. Goes back to kind of like what I said about it. I love how the MCU can take these, these you know, these events that we see as comic book lovers, that we see as moviegoers, TV watchers, and they expand on kind of the real life ramifications of these type of events. Because in this context, Wanda is not the villain. Um, even Monica knows Wanda is not the villain. But the real people in this world, how isn't Wanda a villain? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. to me, what Marvel does so well and what the MCU has been considering since the fallout of the first Avengers is the humanity of these choices, right? Like, there there really is not a good guy or bad guy situation going on. Marvel characters constantly fail, uh, and then they try to learn from those failures and then they fail again and they mm-hmm. fail better, which is something that we should all be striving to do. Um, and, and so, like, you see how the actions of Age of Ultron play out in Civil War, play out in Infinity War and now play out in WandaVision. You know, it's it's not a matter of like you are bad and I am good. Yep. We're just trying to exist in this absurd universe. And I also love the fact that Agatha essentially wanted the Scarlet Witch's power, and it was the 180 where it was the Scarlet Witch who took Agatha's power and kind of made her one of the townspeople, um, which you know is a clever way to just like, you know, similar to the comics, Agatha will be around for a very long time. And she even says that she's going to call on her when she needs her. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like Catherine Hahn's so good. Like you, you don't want to get rid of Catherine Hahn after yeah. this show, uh, and that character is much more complicated than being just good or bad in the comic book series too. So I look forward to seeing her other facets, the way that we have seen the different facets of Loki over the years. Yeah, and the quote that. Agatha says to Scarlet Witch as everything is going down at the very end is you have no idea what you unleashed. You'll need me. So again, keeping the door open to greater events, greater magical events, greater multiverse events that could be happening down the road. I hope so. I hope so too. All right. You don't go out and get her and not bring her back. Exactly. All right, so back at their house, which is still intact in normal clothing, Wanda and Vision put their kids to bed. Vision says, your mother and I are very proud of you both. With that awkward pause that left us hanging for some surprise, um, Wanda notes, you know, a family is forever. We can never leave each other, even if we tried. Um, But the hex walls are closing in. Wanda then thanks the boys for choosing her to be their mom and closes the door to their room. I found that that wording interesting thank you for choosing me to be your mom mm-hmm. yeah it is interesting what does that mean mephisto <laughs> yeah mephisto <laughs> yeah i mean like i like we we now have to like consider what are the children what is the vision within the hex um the way i interpret the vision is that it was born from wanda uh it was born from Wanda's powers and Wanda's memory of her love. And once it became apart from her, it is a sentient life form. Uh, The vision does make choices that 
go against Wanda's wishes. Uh, it is a proactive being with its own desires. I don't think that is just a uh, figment. And certainly the boys are not just um, magical creations. They have a, a will and a desire of their own. But are they simply born out of Wanda's abilities the way that Vision was? Or is there something else going on there? You know, thank you for choosing me to be your mom implies that those souls, you know, had an option. And if you've seen mm -hmm. the movie Soul from Pixar, maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe they do. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. Because we do hear in the stinger that those children cry out. Are those the same children? Are those multiverse children? I, I mean, I don't know. Exactly. So then Vision, you know, when they're downstairs alone, the hex is closing in. Vision asks the million dollar question again. What am I? Wanda replies, you are the piece of the Mind Stone that lives in me. You are my sadness and my hope, but mostly my love. Um, yeah. So that was that was something. Um, the hex comes in, disassembles Vision, <laughs> who parts with a so long darling and the house is back to the outline of the property Wanda bought or uh, vision bought a very emo Wanda walks away with the townsfolk looking at her angrily Monica tells her they'll never know what you sacrificed for them which goes back to what we were just talking about where there's more to the world um, in the sense that you know these are just events in the world and people don't see the 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 heroes the good guys and the bad guys for what they are they just you know their life is F now so we're going to be angry at you um you know, and, and if you had those abilities, you would have done the same thing. You know, like mm -hmm. if I could bring my grandfather back, I would. You yep. know, yeah. And that's exactly what uh, Monica says because she said she would have done the exact same thing to bring her mother back. Wanda declares her intent to understand her powers and flies off. So that is yeah, the show in a nutshell. Let's just remember the one thing as well with the context of all this. Because logically, yes, the people, the townspeople deserve to be angry and everything like that. And we know that we're going to explore that. But they've definitely got us identifying with the protagonist because I can guarantee you there wasn't a dry eye by anybody watching this show. Even on the second and third watch throughs, it's still an extremely emotional set of, of events that are happening, right? Like just closing the door on those kids and seeing the the red wall come through, right? It's just, I don't know. It was gut-wrenching. Totally yep. gut-wrenching for me. And then as time is Niagara running Niagara Falls. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, this this episode is sponsored by Kleenex. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, post-credit scenes. We'll get through these really quick before we get final thoughts. So, the first post-credit scene, we see Jimmy Woo back in control. Monica is led to a theater to chat with a, with a squirrel who says that she's needed by a friend of her mother's in space. Um, and then, the series ends by showing Wanda both simultaneously at peace and hard at work, very similar to a um, to how the Sorcerer Supreme works. Um, she's at her mountainside cabin, Tea is ready. She goes to take it off the stove. Quick camera pan shows that Scarlet Witch is also in the house. 
diving into the big scary book of magic. Then we hear Billy and Tommy scream, which makes it clear Wanda's likely going to hunt for them. That is the end of WandaVision. I can't yeah, wait so, for more. I, yeah, I, can, I mean, I just can't. I can't wait to see where this goes. And you definitely leave this episode. Like I left this episode more invested in Wanda's story than it's ever been before, and she has risen in the ranks of my favorite Avengers, and and, and certainly the the Avenger I'm most concerned about now. Like, yeah, uh, Tony Stark has left us. Uh, Steve Rogers is an old man. Um, we need to protect Wanda. We we need. I like. I have hope for Wanda. I want Wanda to kick butt, but I also want Wanda to be happy. Yeah. I also, I'm really curious to know in the real world or in the multiverse world or wherever the interaction happens, what happens when she meets Vision again, when she meets White Vision, right? Because that was deliberately left wide open and gooey at the center. Yeah. So you know that that's going to be, because now he has the memories. Now he has the context to actually establish a conversation where he's not trying to crush her head. (laughs) And in the comics, when that occurred, when Amortis killed vision and Hank Pym reassembled the vision uh, into that white form. And, you know, by that point, like, here's like, I'm going to get real nerdy about the comic books in the comic book. When Vision was created by Ultron, Ultron used the brain patterns of Simon Williams, who was Wonder Man, the Grim Reaper's brother, who was dead at the time. Now, Mm. when Amortis killed Vision and Dr. Pym remade him, Wonder Man was now alive again because of comic book reasons. And (laughs) Wonder Man, Simon Williams said, no, you cannot have my brain patterns again. So when... He was rebuilt by Hank Pym. He did not have the brain patterns, but he did have the data and the memories, but no emotion attached to them. And so mm. I wonder, is when this vision meets up with Wanda, he will have the data, he will have the memories, but will he have the love? And right. if he doesn't, that's like another death. And like, yeah. I'm not ready for Wanda to have more misery. <laughs> I know. I just want her to have a happy day. Can can someone just hug her? Can someone just give her a good day for once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want had, her to find those kids. She had three or four of them in WandaVision. We did she get did. to see her be happy. But it was all like, fake. And that was nice. It was nice. all, it but, was all a well, fake. Even, I mean, it was fake and it wasn't fake. And even if it was only three days, she's got a whole life. She needs more than three days. True enough. <laughs> But this sets up a lot of things. This sets up things from Captain Captain Marvel 2 to Doctor Strange 2 to Spider-Man 3. The MCU right now is blown wide open. Um, the possibility of the multiverse, the possibility of the scroll war, the possibility are endless right now in the MCU. Quickly before we go, Brad, what's your take on everything? Where are we going to go with the MCU? Oh man, uh, I don't know for sure. As I've I've clearly proven over the course of WandaVision speculation, <laughs> I have I have no idea. I do want Mephisto to show up at some point. <laughs> like it would be great if he was in Doctor Strange too, but I'm not holding my breath. I would um, die of laughter if he's the oh, bad man. guy in Doctor Strange too, just to give all of us the middle finger right now. Yeah, and so like like I, I I'm 
I'm very excited to see where Wanda goes after this. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for the introduction of the multiverse in Doctor Strange 2 and probably in Spider-Man 3 later this year. But I'm also really excited about Monica Rambeau, a character we didn't talk about too much on this episode. But over the course of this series, I think Teona Parrish really showed that she's a dynamite performer and like that's a character i want to see you know get her own series get her yeah. own film she's going to captain marvel 2 but give me a spectrum photon movie or something like yes a television show or something cuz she's just a really fascinating character and i felt like in wandavision's rush to wrap up at the end like even though she has a very critical moment in this series in understanding and empathizing with Wanda and helping us understand and empathize with Wanda, I I wish there had been more to her than just stopping a few bullets uh, yeah. against Hayward, you know, yep. the one-dimensional Hayward. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And we can probably talk about her for another whole episode, um, but just like WandaVision – we got to wrap up real fast and real soon. Um, but yeah, no, Monica Rambeau is an awesome character. And I really hope that we get to kind of delve more into her. Clearly, we're going to see her a little more, probably in whatever spaceship uh, Nick Fury's in. Um, so we'll see what's going on there. And I'm really excited to see where this multiverse takes us. I love the fact that they also hinted at the fact that, you know, the snaps um, created and left so much radiation so this is opening up the possibility of mutations um there's just so many directions right now and there's still a bunch of red herrings and i love the fact that these shows just like i'm sure falcon and winter soldier will do is going to build upon ideas for the movies as well as expanding on some of these side things that we just won't have time to explore in the movies yeah and and don't forget that we have Loki coming up, which pretty much beds right down into this multiverse idea as well, right? So there's going to be a lot to get through for the casual fans like me. I'm excited for the future, but I have no expectations on it. Mephisto's going to be in Loki, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely happening. Mephisto's going to yeah. be in Falcon and Winter Soldier, just watch. He could be. He, he could, could be. be. <laughs> I love it. All right, Brad. So that's that. Again, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us. I know we kind of sped through the last little bit, but there was so much to cover. But I feel like, you know, people need to go back, rewatch these episodes because there's just so much to take in. We tried to highlight a few very important themes, tried to highlight some few important characters. And at the end of the day, I think the three of us thoroughly enjoyed this show and you know we love the direction that the mc is going in so any final words on wandavision i mean thank you guys for having me on to talk about it i like i do think that this show like the best marvel movies has you reevaluating the films that came before yep. lisa and i have started a rewatch of all the wanda and vision centric ep uh, episodes movies we rewatched age of ultron and you know, this show brings even more depth to her characterization in Age of Ultron and had me appreciating that movie in ways that I had not before. Uh, and the same goes for Civil War and Infinity War and Endgame. 
Um, so yeah, if you, if you haven't rewatched those movies with this in mind, do so. And I like, I think WandaVision is going to be a hell of a rewatch. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be just a totally different and unique experience when I start over. Yep. Yep. 100%. You're a hundred percent. Right. So Brad, tell our listeners where they can find your podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CBCC Podcast, or you can go to comicbookcouplescounseling.com. You can also join me over on my personal Twitter feed at MouthDork and find me at Film School Rejects. Uh, I wrote every week about WandaVision over the course of those eight weeks. I even did an interview with cinematographer Jess Hall, uh, which like what they like we, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning but what they did uh with the cinematography in this film is incredible and how they did it is absurd uh so go check out those articles i'll be doing the same thing for the falcon and the winter soldier in what two weeks that's nuts mm-hmm. yeah two weeks coming up fast all right brad i'm gonna put you on the spot are we gonna have you back oh. to talk falcon and winter soldier at some point of course, you know it. I am here. You invite me, and I'll be I'll be here to talk Marvel stuff. Awesome! I can't wait. Phil, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of us. Sure, you can find us on the internet at www.itscanonpodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at itscanonpodcast, and email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com. And yeah, you know where you find podcasts, you're going to find us. You're going to find uh, comic book counseling couples. You're going to find all of us out there on Google Play. Apple Podcasts, everything like that. And if you're, uh, if you'd like, please subscribe to both podcasts and uh, give us a rate and review. Yep, just five just stars. Like the MCU, five stars, five stars, five stars. Because just like the MCU, all these podcasts are connected in some shape, way, or form. Um, so this is the It's Canon Podcast. Go out and watch WandaVision. Go out and prep yourself for Falcon and Winter Soldier. This is the It's Canon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things television, video games, comic books. Um, movies, TV shows, Lego, Muppets, WandaVision, Falcon, Winter Soldier. We're going to turn this into a Mephisto podcast in a couple weeks. So (laughs) we talk about all things pop culture, all things geek. He's Brad. He's Phil. I'm Boris. Good night.